Happy Friday! My name is Quinn Emmett, and this is Important Not Important, science for people who give a shit. The newsletter features the most important science news of the week, how you can think about it, and most importantly, what the hell you can do about it. I'm so excited to share that we are finally on YouTube, where you can find the weekly newsletter, like this, our deep dive conversations, and even shorts. So much more to come there. The link to listen and subscribe is in your show notes, or if you're on YouTube right here, I guess. Once you're there, just hit subscribe right now, please, to get this newsletter every Friday, plus my conversations with the world's smartest people on most Mondays. You can find the email version and links to everything we do at importantnotimportant.com. The link is also in your show notes, or if, again, you're watching my face, in the description below. A quick PSA. INI is 100% independent and mostly reader-supported. The newsletter is free to all, and so is the podcast, but to pay it forward and support our work, to get weekly deep-dive essays from me and sometimes guests, and to connect with other listeners like yourself and get an invitation to our community in the delightful comment section, please consider becoming a member for just $5 a month. Visit importantnotimportant.com membership to become a member today. Lastly, there's just 18 days until the U.S. midterms when, well, really the fate of the universe is on the line again. Abortion rights, climate action, COVID protections, if there's ever going to be any again, data privacy, and other things. So our action steps today and in the coming weeks will reflect our need to get every possible human to the polls. Let's fucking go. It is October 21st, 2022. In climate change news, plant-based meat has been on quite the roller coaster the past couple years. Beyond Meat went public in 2019 with one of the best performing IPOs by a U.S. company since the late 1900s, which is how my nine-year-old described the 90s, please kill me. Beyond and their sexiest competitor, Impossible Foods, signed deals with Dunkin' Donuts and McDonald's and others, improved their core product time and again, released some delicious chicken nuggets, and basically helped normalize plant-based meat. But over the past year, Beyond stock has cratered along with the rest of the market, and the company's planning to lay off 19% of their workers soon. So forget for a moment that Beyond's CFO recently and quietly bailed, and that the COO not so quietly bailed after biting a dude's nose off. The question is, what does all of this say about plant-based meat as a category? I don't think the category is a novelty any longer. There's so much more competition from major food producers like Tyson. People get it. To their credit, Beyond and Impossible have made products that are often, and again, arguably, indistinguishable from the real thing. But they need to be more than that. Keep in mind the pressure here. We need this category to work. Meat drives most of worldwide deforestation, 60% of global emissions from agriculture, and together with dairy, almost 15% of total global emissions. Meat dominates land use, water use, antibiotics, monocrops, fertilizers, and more. So options are great, and vegetarians will maybe pick a version that's more, shall we say, carrot-forward. But to convert everyone else, literally everyone else, we need to regulate the shit out of real meat. Two, raise awareness over beef emissions, and Google's trying to do that. Three, tax cow burps, among many others. But the most important thing we can do, we need look-alike and taste-alike burgers and nuggets and sausage to be flat-out better than the alternative, like how Teslas were, or more recently, how the electric F-150 truck is being positioned. We're so close, but we need a better burger, full stop. Here's what we can do. Like I said, 
Visit votesaveamerica.com and help elect progressive state and federal candidates who will help shift our diets and land use towards healthier, more sustainable food systems for farmers and consumers alike. In COVID news, as a plethora of Omicron subvariants tangle with one another for the right to our everlasting souls, it's worth asking just how far we've come. This week, biotech headlines trumpeted the claim that, having proven the technology works and is safe, and it is, that mRNA cancer vaccines are just a few years away. This, as less than 10% of eligible Americans have gotten the upgraded bivalent booster using the exact same tech, mostly because we simply haven't talked about the boosters enough, and or because when we do, the talk is muddled, or it's a hotbed of misinformation, mostly fueled by Facebook, you should really read the link in the newsletter. So yeah, we've had some successes from COVID, and we've even normalized some of them, but we should keep building on those and demanding more and better. mRNA shots, at-home tests, and tied to a centralized, anonymized, actionable test data. Paid leave, dynamic and robust wastewater data. Mask innovation and production. And again, a wartime effort to establish indoor air quality standards and then overhauling indoor air in every classroom, nursing home, prison, church, restaurant, and office in the country. We've already got to electrify every one of those buildings. Why wouldn't we change the playing field for every virus along the way? And again, I mention all these because in order to find the opportunities available to us, we have to first identify the problems. We know what we have to do. We have everything we need to do it. So what's coming this winter because we haven't? Well, it depends on your neighbor's poop. Wastewater can tell us the local viral load is climbing and often weeks before cases begin to rise. It can't really tell us who's actually getting sick and but we're not really reporting cases as much anymore anyways. Bottom line is, if we're going to actually take care of each other, we need to elect people who will help do that. Here's what you can do. One, check your wastewater data with BioBot or the CDC, and then visit votesaveamerica.com and help elect candidates who will build a public health system that benefits all people every day, not just the really bad ones. In food and water news, One year ago, baby formula became hard to find. A few months later, a nationwide recall made finding formula, somehow, even harder. The context remains the same. Incredibly high regulation resulting in very little competition and very few expensive factories that can actually produce the stuff. From CNN, by way of a U.S. Census Bureau survey, households with an annual income of less than $75,000 were twice as likely as those with an income of $100,000 or more to report trouble getting baby formula last month and to say that they have a week or less of formula on hand. Unacceptable. Biden and company have imported almost a billion bottles of the stuff from Europe. But 747s, packed with precious baby formula like some fucked-up Mission Impossible sequel, isn't exactly a recipe for long-term success. And the FDA, which again should be broken up, actually agrees. Having a baby in the U.S. is dangerous and expensive enough compared to the other developed countries. There's zero room for anti-competitive, nationalistic bullshit that makes kids go hungry. Especially if we're going to feed all of these unexpected, much-needed, and probably very adorable work-from-home babies. The good news? The FDA said they'll finally allow foreign-made formula to be sold in the U.S., and Representative Rosa DeLora of Connecticut said she'll reveal legislation this week to expand the pool of U.S.-based manufacturers. 
here's what we can do. Read Food Fix's deep dive into where we are, literally from yesterday, and then if you've got extra unopened and not expired formula somewhere, please donate it through the free formula exchange. You can also get screened and donate breast milk at one of 31 regional milk banks. Again, it's all in your show notes. In health and bio news, fueled by COVID, abortion bans, and mental health struggles across the country, telehealth, at one point in 2020 responsible for 69% of doctor-patient visits, faces an uncertain future. Let's go down the list. A new survey showed that Most physicians who provide opioid treatment found telehealth to be more effective than expected, 54% versus 16% who found it less effective. 85% were in favor of the temporary telehealth flexibility being permanently extended, and 77% will be likely to use telehealth after the COVID-19 pandemic, I mean, after, regulations permitting. Number two, with a nationwide Adderall shortage, many pharmacies have blocked prescriptions from ADHD-centric telehealth startups. Number three, abortion pill-by-mail startups are facing predictably fundraising complications. Highmark started covering some cases of software-based treatments for psychiatric and other conditions. Number four, NBA star Paul George partnered with BetterHelp this week and will donate $3 million for free mental health services for folks in need. Number five, internet access to folks who actually need to use telehealth remains vastly inequitable. And number six, the house, which might fall into further ruin in November, has said that audio-only telehealth services are the way forward. But, I mean, again, it remains to be seen. Obvious HIPAA privacy concerns aside, and not too far aside, and that the FDA, again, needs to be broken up, we have to, whereas my lecture my children, we get to build an entirely new mental health support structure, among others, like remote abortion care. Telehealth will and should play a key role in U.S. healthcare, but we are still in early days. Here's what we can do. We need people in office at every level who understand how quickly technology is progressing, how we can use it to help people, and the infrastructure required to enable broad access. Visit votesaveamerica.com and help get them elected. In Beep Boot News, speaking of data privacy, what if you don't actually give a shit about it? Or more specifically, what if you willfully shun it? Hear me out. I'm surrounded right now in most days by a potpourri of Apple products, some of which are always listening, always ready for me to ask them to set a timer, always politely, or more likely to plead with them to turn off the Greatest Showman soundtrack my children left on blast in the other room. You've probably got one or more of these devices, or more likely some Alexa thing, a ring doorbell, a Google Home thing, or whatever. If you're on the younger side, you've probably used the Snap Map, or if you're a human on Earth, hit Allow All Cookies, despite the availability of browsers that outright prevent them. Maybe you've used a tile or an air tag or just location tracking to keep tabs on a dog or a child or a loved one with dementia, or dropped a pin for a friend or scanned a QR code at a menu. You get the point. Data privacy bills, though, are few and far between. Nancy Pelosi recently crushed the federal one, though maybe for a good reason. So besides huge, enormous lobbying efforts against them, against these bills, why haven't they succeeded? I spend a hell of a lot of time writing and thinking about data privacy and ethics and the willful intrusion, monitoring, storing, and brokering of our data. But there's no denying that most of the time, we invite it. And I think that's because, despite all of the words spilled, we demand convenience. And there's just really been no day-to-day, much less life-altering implications for what Chris Gilliard calls luxury surveillance. And then Dobbs happened. 
and a collection of U.S. states immediately put into effect abortion restrictions or bans. And a whole bunch of companies that tracked your location, or your period, or both, realized they were suddenly holding a whole lot of data that could incriminate you, or them, or both. Here's what's next. I don't know. Big tech, and particularly Amazon, want your house crawling with devices. But how will abortion and state privacy laws affect not only lives, but their bottom lines with the market cratering? Here's what we can do. Look, GPS is great. So is electronic health records and Apple watches and biometric border control. I mean, maybe. Powerful search. But we should make sure that the companies and governments that build them and use them only collect what they absolutely need and transparently and not use it against us. Visit votesaveamerica.com and help elect people who understand where the puck is going. Finally, here's 10 things from my notebook. Number one, researchers found benzene and other fun toxic chemicals piped into Southern California homes. Number two, America has a black sperm donor problem. Number three, 87 countries and counting have reached the fabled clean energy tipping point. Number four, will there be a cancer vaccine by 2030? Number five, the FBA apparently blew it on cybercrime. Can they pick up their game? Number six, the IRA is great for electric cars, but it could be fucking incredible for heavy trucks. Number seven, the first West Coast offshore wind leases go on sale before Christmas. You're welcome. Number eight, the U.S. Treasury wants insurers to reveal climate exposures, and wow, here we go. Number nine, we got a guide for when you suddenly need to reset thousands of passwords. And number 10, Jess Wade, a physicist herself, wrote 1,750 Wikipedia entries for women scientists who deserved them. That's the news for this week. Hit subscribe to get next week's news and tips straight to your feed or your subscription or whatever this is on YouTube. To go deeper, hit the link, visit importantnotimportant.com. Thanks for being part of our community. Thanks for giving a shit. Have a great weekend. 